If you'd like to follow as I read scripture today and invite you to do that, especially if you're watching online and we'll be turning to Joshua chapter 4, I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 and then verses 21 through 24. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and gather them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So, Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, that's the ark of the covenant, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And then down at 20, verse 21, he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The time had come for the people to cross over into the land God had promised them. In the Old Testament world, land was the fundamental good, the irreducible basis of life, joy, and fulfillment. God would give the people this land to keep and to keep the land and uh, they, they were responsible for keeping the law. So there were some expectations that God had of them. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua's the leader, and Moses, his successor, his predecessor, had died. And God told Joshua that the time had come for them to move. Verse 2 of chapter 1, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Remember, I know y'all do, remember that the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for some 40 years after their deliverance from Egyptian slavery. 
and under that bondage was 400 years. Thousands of people would have been part of this journey we're talking about. The previous generation of men of age 20 or more would have died except Joshua and Caleb. They had to take all of their supplies, animals, belongings, family members across this stretch of water. I imagine the sounds and the smells and the sights as they experience this journey across the dry ground of the Jordan. Not only were there a lot of people and belongings and livestock, but the other problem was that the Jordan River was at flood stage. God had given the order to Joshua, though, and they were to go. Go figure that God would give the order right at the time that the Jordan was at its deepest and widest point through the year. Grain harvest time in spring, April, or May. If you were to visit the Holy Land today, and some of you have, or if you look it up online, the Jordan River looks a lot different today than it did back then in Bible times. Now it's heavily used for irrigation, and the river is much more shallow and much smaller. It is said that the Jordan today reflects only 4 to 8% of its original size. So at the time that Joshua and the Israelites were preparing to cross over the rivers at flood stage, which was maybe a mile wide or so, one commentator writes, crossing was rendered dangerous, if not outright impossible. Short of a miracle, there was no way that all those people could get across. So what were they to do? What choices did they have? Well, they could have camped out some more in the desert because the river was too great an obstacle, right? That was an option. They could turn back and go to Egypt. After all, the food was a whole lot better back in those days. Or they could just give up. They could just throw their hands up in the air and say, we give up. This is too hard. There's no way we can cross over our relatives have already died in the desert. We may as well be like them. We are done. We're just done. That's desert thinking. That's desert thinking. That's Egyptian bondage kind of thinking where we allow what weighs us down to keep us from experiencing the promises of God. Some call it a wilderness mentality. They had been in the desert for so long that they lost hope. Become so used to God's miracles, perhaps, that the supernatural had become mundane, almost an entitlement. But at this juncture, there was no turning back. The time had come for them to cross over, that they might experience the land of milk and honey. And God would show the people his power, and his providence. So what does God do? God stops the water some 18 or 19 miles upstream. Some call God the God who is upstream. God stepped into the waters and stopped it at a place called Adam. This is reflective of what God had done previous when God separated the waters of the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to go through to be freed from Egyptian slavery. 
God was reminding these people at this point in time what God had previously done, that they might not dwell in a wilderness mentality, but that they would remember the promises of God, that God had not changed, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was always upstream. God is always out in front of us preparing the way often which we cannot see. The water completely stopped flowing and Joshua tells us that the water flowing south had completely cut off going down into the Dead Sea. And the people crossed over on dry ground. The phrase dry ground appears four times in the narrative. In the Hebrew it reads like this, the ground, the dry. The ground, the dry. The ground, the dry. The ground, the dry. The emphasis that the ground was completely dry, not muddy or wet or a bunch of puddles or knee-deep. The Scripture is very clear that this was a miracle of God. This miracle took place when the, the priests, the one who were charged to step their toes in the waters, when they took that step of faith, the waters were separated. Crossing Jordan would transform Israel from a wandering band of people to a landed nation. This story is important for us on Heritage Day. It reminds us that it's important for us to know the history of our church, to know the story of our church. It's easy for us to get spiritual amnesia, isn't it? To get busy to forget what the foremothers and forefathers of this church did so that we, the sacrifices they made, that we might be in this place a light to the community around us. In June of this year, I wrote a pastor, my weekly pastor's letter reflecting on Heritage Day. It's, as you heard earlier, it's typically in June. Here's a little bit about what I wrote you. Back in 1958, the deacons in the missions committee of Bonaire Baptist Church met to discuss the need for a new mission in the Woodmont and Old Gun area of Chesterfield County. This meeting planted the seed which would eventually grow into the church we are today. Those early pioneering leaders continued to pray and seek the will of God for this vision. According to the history of Huguenot Road Baptist Church written by Eric Millirons, Quote, the Mission Committee of Bonaire Baptist recommended sponsorship of this fledgling effort and authorized it on April 8, 1964. About two months later, this reality came to be. Huguenot Baptist Chapel held its first service on June 14, 1964. This is when we were organized. Like the first century churches, we met in a house a rented house just across the street from our current campus over on Monteith. There were 51 people in attendance that day. I am told that when Dr. Wallace, the pastor, preached, he stood in the hallway of the house. The people were in the living room and in the family room. And so he had to stand there in the hallway with the wall dividing and preach to two uh, groups of people to keep everybody together. I can just imagine what that was like. Well, the church grew 
And on June 4th, 1967, the chapel had moved into its new building. And on June 11th, 1967, our church was formally chartered as Huguenot Road Baptist Church. 136 charter members, 55 of whom were the original members of the chapel and the remaining having joined between October 4th of 64 and June 11th, 1967. I'd like to recognize the charter members who are still active today. I'm just going to list their names. Dot Thacker, Miriam Thacker, Jean Garner, Marvin and Carolyn Gregory, Felix and Dottie Shepard, Jack Reynolds, Earl and Shirley Lloyd, Tom and Laureen Wyatt, Sue and Walter Taylor, and Norman and Joan Boswell. Margaret Jamerson was among this group, and she was called home to her heavenly home last month. But we, we thank you all. If you all are here, if, if any of you whose names I've called are in the room, would you stand up if you're able so that we can honor you? Would you? Can we give the Lord a hand for them? Thank you. And if any of you are watching online uh, and you're able to type a comment in so that our online community can encourage you, you can do so as well. But on June 14th of this year, we celebrate our, our 56th year as a church. And normally we would have a wonderful celebration with a big potluck afterwards. And of course, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, all of those plans had to be changed. Everything has changed. But the one good thing is that our God has not changed. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are thankful to be in this place. And we look forward to the work that God will enable us to do as we live into the story that he's writing for us even now. As we look to that future, we acknowledge our past has shaped our present. We want to build on that heritage Sure, we've made some mistakes, and we don't want to get stuck in the past where we have erred. We want to look at the spiritual markers of our history and build on those successes where God has been at work, the God who is upstream. What God has done in the past, we believe God will do again. It may look different, but God is at work in our midst. One commentator writes, yesterday has a meaning for today. Experience is a great teacher. We claim and celebrate our past and trust that God holds our future. By causing the people to face a river to cross, God was reminding the people of Israel of his character and nature. God's unchanging character and nature, the God who was upstream, the God who led the Israelites through the Red Sea would do the same thing as they crossed the Jordan. But here's the catch. God will work in our lives when we are prepared for that work to happen. We can't just sit back and wait for God to show up. We have a responsibility as well. At the very beginning of the narrative here, Joshua gave the command. It's chapter 3. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves. 
So he said, be prepared. This is a command with a promise. God is asking his people to do something as a contingency of his command. In other words, God is going to do something tomorrow, but we got to do something today. As Christ followers, this is a daily activity on our part. We must consecrate ourselves daily to prepare for the God who is always upstream. To consecrate means to make holy, to be dedicated, to be set apart, to be pure, to be a cut above. In the Bible, this holiness means something sacred, set apart for worship. Uh, for example, the seventh day was considered holy and sacred. Mount Sinai was a holy place. Priests were set apart as holy people. Holiness was to be separate from the unclean. Jesus twists this, though. He twists, you remember, he uh, twists the script. He says something new in the midst of something old. Uh, Jesus says that we are to be holy, but we are in the midst of people who may not be so holy. He says in John 17, verse 13 through 19, that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So the essence of holiness in the New Testament is that we embrace the holiness of God and consecrate ourselves in the middle of the world which may not be and is often not so holy. This daily response on our part to the grace of God, this daily preparation allows us to be ready for the God who is upstream as God is at work around us. And this raises two questions for us. The first question is, why should we be holy? I mean, why? What's, what's important about it? A few things. One, because it's a command. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the scripture says, be holy in all you do. So we are commanded to be holy, to separate ourselves from the world, to be consecrated. It's a command. Second, we are to be holy because of the person of God. Scripture says, be holy because I am holy in 1 Peter 1.16. So it's a command and then we imitate God. Third, we are to be holy because we're different. We're called to be different. And fourth, we are, we are called to be holy because of the cost. We are redeemed from the empty way of life by the precious blood of Jesus Christ because of the cost. And how are we to be holy? By the grace of God, we prepare our minds. Therefore, writes Peter, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. So we prepare our minds. We ask God, for his grace to clear our minds that we might be ready for what God is going to do. And then we guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from it. Perhaps this implies that we are to be right with God, right with one another, repenting of sin, confessing of our sins to God, Seeking the Holy, Ship, the Holy Spirit's power to stop repeating the behavior 
and to demonstrate these changes in our lives, to consecrate ourselves daily before the Lord. I don't know that I can expect the providence of God tomorrow if I'm not preparing myself today. Providence is the hand of God in the course of human events. Providence. God said, as I was with Moses, I am with Joshua. We can count on God because his character is unchanging. He is the God who is upstream. Psalm 121 reminds us God goes before and behind us. And you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac where God provided a ram and Abraham named the hill Jehovah-Jireh. God provides. And just as we studied in Jonah this past month, God provided a great fish to save Jonah. He provided a second chance for Jonah. And God provided words that Jonah would preach to the people of Nineveh. And God provided grace for those people. God is running ahead of us. We can count on God. God is faithful. God is upstream. God sees what's coming. And this brings us full circle to the memorial stones that we read about earlier in the text and the stones that we have around the worship centers today and the stones that many of you will be leaving at the doors as you worship this month. Stones that you have prayed over and have significant meaning to you. These stones serve as a reminder of God's providence. They were a teaching tool. Joshua said, whenever your children or grandchildren ask you, Grandpa, Grandma, what do these stones mean? Mommy or Daddy, what do these stones mean? You are to tell them the story that the Jordan was at full stage and was, the water was cut off as the, the, the people went through to the other side. These stones were to be a memorial of the legacy of God, a reminder to generations to come of who God is and what God has done. Prepare yourselves today in anticipation of what God will do tomorrow. Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also become living stones. HRBC, as living stones, you have left a legacy for generations to come. Not only when you started this church, but when you broke ground on the wonderful addition that we are currently enjoying. You began that project in 2013. Dr. Burt Browning was pastor here at the time, and uh, there's a few slides on the screen that will remind us of that day. And you all, if you remember were invited to take stones and decorate those, pray over those stones, uh, write scriptures on them, or whatever God led you to do. And then on that groundbreaking day, you all brought your stones and placed them in several receptacles. And when construction began, when the footers were, were dug for our new building addition, those stones were laid in that foundation and will be there for perpetuity. Each stone matters. Each one represents the prayers of this body. And I'm so thankful that we have this legacy, that we can continue to tell this story about the faithful people of Huguenot Road Baptist Church for 56 years. 
I'm thankful to stand here to continue to share that legacy as we look to the future of God's ministry here. As living stones, we become lasting stones who live to tell the story of the greatness of our God. Earlier in the pandemic, we knew our Heritage Day service would have to be rescheduled. We thought that we might be able to have it this summer. And as you know, the pandemic continued to plague us. And we are now in October and have a, a modified Heritage Day celebration through this month. We're grateful that you have taken these stones and prayed over them. And we pray that during this month, you'll bring them back. And we then will make some uh, prayerful decisions on how those stones will be used here at church. And then down the road, generations will be able to reflect on the stones that you have brought during this time of pandemic as we have trusted our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you didn't get a stone... Uh, there, there just should be some extra ones. Just talk to an usher out in the foyer, and we'll make sure that you can get one to put in the receptacle over this next month. I'd like to leave you with these words from Joshua 4, 21 through 24. Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed over on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Thanks be to God.